Hello, good evening. I am under the weather. I hope, even though I'm stuffed up, you can understand me this evening, or at least the important parts. Hopefully God will just keep that in you. I apologize for how much sniffing that might happen. I will try to keep the nose blowing to a minimum, uh, the coughing and all of that, but I apologize. The good news is, since I don't feel well, this might be the shortest sermon I've ever preached here, which I don't think, yeah, I was going to say. I've never been to a church before where someone's like, yeah, this one may not be long, and they're like, oh, man, what? That's, I came for the 45 minutes. So, yeah, I'm going to spoil you guys from a typical Josh Howitt 45-minute sermon. It might be more in the 30-minute range for you. You're welcome. I aim to please, okay? All right, well, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 2 this evening, if you guys want to go ahead and start turning there. Uh, tonight, we're going to look at probably the most famous aspect of the story of the prophet Jonah, which is being swallowed by a big fish. I mean, I remember learning this when I was, I don't know, three or four years old. You'd learn this one in Sunday school and draw the pictures. But I'm guessing many of us don't really understand what exactly is happening in the book of Jonah other than he ran away from what God told him to do, God sends a fish to swallow him, then he does what he's supposed to do. And that's true in the overall outline sense of, of what the book is talking about, but there's so much more happening beneath the surface than that. So as Josh pointed out last week, Jonah is an interesting prophetic book because it's written as a narrative. Most of the prophets will have these, these long prophecies or poems or monologues, conversations with God as the bulk of the text. And today's passage, we're going to take a break actually from the narrative, and it's going to look more like a traditional prophetic book is. And we have what we either say Jonah's prayer, you might say is your headline above chapter 2. Other people call this Jonah's psalm uh, at this point in the text. So if you remember where we left off, Jonah uh, has been called by God to go to Nineveh, which is the capital of the feared and brutal Assyrians, to preach God's judgment against their evil. Instead of going to the heart of the enemy, Jonah gets on a boat, heads 2,500 miles west, as far as he possibly could go in the known world to get away from Nineveh, which would be Tarshish. And God, miraculously, we see a lot of miracles in this book, miraculously brings a storm that won't stop until Jonah deals with his disobedience. Instead of praying to God like the sailors on the boat ask him to do when they figure out he's the problem, he says, just toss me overboard. It's the best way to solve this problem. The mariners reluctantly do the storm miraculously stops, and then I would say even more miraculous is the pagan sailors begin to worship and sacrifice to the Lord as the one true God. So even throughout this book, this is kind of a theme that'll pop up in chapter three as well when Mike preaches next week, even when Jonah isn't trying to be a good prophet of God, God is using Jonah to bring the good news of who he is to other people and they respond to it. Now, this is not, that's not an application of, don't worry about how you present the gospel. God can use it however you want. Be terrible at it. That's not what I'm saying, but it does show the power of God to be able to use even Jonah in a situation where he's not even trying to get people to believe in God to follow him. So let's read Jonah chapter 2. I actually want to read uh, verse 117. That actually kind of, in the Hebrew scripture, 117 would actually go with chapter 2 to describe what's happening here uh, through verse 10. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. 
Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Gotta love that the Bible uses the word vomit. It's great. I would have used Ralphed, but that's just me. So in 117, 2 1 and 2 10, this is just a description of what's happening here. We're getting the narrative part of the book of Jonah. God again is performing miracles here. He sends a fish to save Jonah from the crashing waves as they're coming around him. He, he knows he is done for. A fish shows up, swallows Jonah. Jonah lives in the fish for three days before being vomited on the dry land and is once again called to head to Nineveh. Now, many people, I think, really want to focus on, well, what kind of fish was this that actually swallowed Jonah? Is this even possible? We could spend time to talk about that. I could make this sermon a little bit longer. I'm not going to do that, though. All right? It doesn't really matter what kind of fish it was. You can look up other real-life stories. This has happened before. You can Google, not right now. I assume you're all on your Bible app on your phone. You can Google sailors who have been swallowed by whales. It's happened. It's actually happened that like some, there was some Japanese sailor, I think, that was in a fish for three days, and he was fine when he got out. I'm sure he needed a bath, but he was okay. So we could talk about that. That's not the point of the story. God uses a fish, whatever kind it was, to save Jonah. And Jonah used that time in the fish to meditate on God. And I got to think, I'm not sure if there's much else he could have been doing during that time in the fish. I imagine this was not the best smelling prayer room that Jonah had visited. It was probably dark. Uh, I'm guessing it was probably gooey on the inside. I don't know. I don't know what the inside of a fish is like. Uh, I don't know if Jonah is eating other fish, like when Geppetto is fishing inside of Monstro the whale, he's still getting food. I don't, I don't know if this is going down in that same way. What I do know is sandwiched between these descriptions of what happened to Jonah we have Jonah sandwiched between the walls of a fish giving the psalm of Jonah or Jonah's prayer where he composes thinking about what God has done to save him inside this fish. Apologies. The first thing I want to notice here is look at verse 1. This is actually the first time Jonah has even talked to God in this book. That's rare for a prophet that it's taking this long for him to do that. God, when God tells Jonah his mission in 1-2, Jonah doesn't respond. He just gets up and runs. He's like, I'm out of here. You told me what to do. See ya. In chapter 1, there's this theme of Jonah continuing to flee, going down to get away from the presence of the Lord. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the ship. He goes down to the inner part of the ship. He goes down and decides to take a nap inside of the ship. And finally, he's thrown down into the depths of the sea uh, to stop the storm and save the mariners. All of Jonah's motivation in that first chapter is to run away from God's presence and not deal with what is being asked of him. Josh talked about this last week, but I think it bears repeating as we go throughout. 
uh, this book, what are you running from that God may be asking you to do? God calls us all to do something, but are you running away from what that call might be? And adding to that question today, how might God be trying to get your attention to get you back into his presence or to be obedient to him? So Jonah finally cries out to God when he's at the end of his rope. Jonah is in the process of sinking to the bottom of the sea. And he repeats familiar words that if you look, if you have a cross-section Bible, you might see like this looks like Psalm 18 or Psalm 120 or Psalm 130. He repeats language that you would hear in Psalms, the book of prayers that the Hebrews have. Uh, he says, he cried out to the Lord, out of my distress, and he answered me. That's a common refrain you'll see in different Psalms. What God is doing for Jonah is he's teaching him that only the grace and mercy of God can truly save us. God is giving to Jonah the same truth of where salvation comes from that Jonah is supposed to go and preach to the Ninevites. The mariners on the boat, when we looked at them last week, they learned this and they begin to praise and worship God because they now understand who salvation actually belongs to. The grace that the sailors showed Jonah by doing everything in their power to not throw him overboard should have, have woken up or, or made something just bubble up in Jonah into longing for grace for everyone who has not yet received it. But now, Jonah is being taught the lesson for real. It's not the Ninevites or the pagan mariners who need, the pres or who need grace. It is Jonah who needs it. Jonah here, he feels like he doesn't deserve to be in the presence of God, much like the Ninevites would soon feel. He felt the absence of God, they would too. He recognized his spiritual rebellion and need for God as the Ninevites will in chapter 3. So God is uniquely equipping Jonah for the task that he has been called to. And we see this play out throughout Scripture in many different places. I'll give just a couple of examples. When you look at the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah is called to preach both judgment and salvation, wrath and grace. He's to compare the people's righteousness as filthy rags in God's sight. But what does he learn himself? Well, if you go to Isaiah chapter 6, that really famous passage of the, of the vision of being inside God's temple, he learns that his own lips, which God is going to use to bring this message, they were unclean. They needed to be purified so he could serve God. To be a prophet to sinners, Isaiah had to learn about his own sinfulness. Think of Simon Peter. We did this story just a couple weeks ago as we were wrapping up Luke. After the resurrection, Jesus invites uh, Peter to a fire of burning coals that are meant to remind him of the earlier fire he was around when he denied his loyalty to Christ. Three times, Jesus is breaking Peter's heart, really, by asking him a question meant to convict him of his sin and to lead him to be cleansed from it. Peter before had been asked, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Now Jesus is asking him, do you love me? Both questions are getting at the same issue for Peter. Like Jonah, Peter fell hard and quickly in that story. He goes from saying, I will die by your side, to denying him a few hours later. He fled from Christ's word and he fled from his presence, but he's brought back to Jesus through Jesus' providence. Like Jonah, he remembered the word that the Lord has spoken when that rooster crows that you will deny me three times. Like Jonah, he went out and wept bitterly, much like Jonah cries out in distress, but he wept his way back into the presence of God. The story of Jonah has many echoes throughout Scripture. 
and it repeats itself even more throughout history of the Christian church, does it echo in your own heart as well? Jonah, as an Israelite, he already knows that salvation belongs to the Lord. This isn't a new understanding for him while he's in the whale. God has already saved his people from slavery in Egypt. He tended to them daily in the wandering in the desert. He gave them victories in the conquest of the promised land. He set up a kingdom meant to show, to, to be a testimony of his power and glory for the rest of the world. And in Jonah chapter 2, he shows his means of salvation through the belly of a fish. God can use anything to bring about his message of salvation. For some of us, I'd be included in this one, it comes through the blessing of growing up in a home with a, a family who love and serve the Lord and taught and exemplified that for us. For others, it, it might be a pesky friend or coworker who just kept loving you and trying to tell you about this Jesus guy until you would listen. Some of us in the room, we may have had to be sinking to the depths of the sea, to a place that seemed like there was no hope. And at that moment, you recognized the hand of God and cried out in your distress, please save me. I think what's so amazing about any of those scenarios, and for Jonah here in chapter 2, is that God is always listening. Jonah has been running from the presence of God since chapter 1, and yet God still hears Jonah, answers Jonah, and even rescues Jonah. No matter how hard we try, we can never outrun the presence of God. No matter how gone we may feel, God will never not hear our prayers. Now, I want to stop and make sure that we actually grasp how amazing this statement is, because I don't think it impacts us. I know it doesn't for me as much as it should. Jonah cries out to God, God answers. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth and all of the galaxies. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Holy One, supreme ruler over all creation. He's the final judge, the great I am, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, and Jonah calls on him after running as far as he can from him, and God still listens and answers to rebellious Jonah. When we call on God, God listens and answers us. That's insane. Why would he do that? I don't know why he listens to me. He's not a distant God that just wound up the earth like a toy, lets it go, and let's see what happens. He's present. He is always with us. He's always listening. In the second part of, of verse 2, he says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. In Hebrew, Josh touched on this a little bit last week, Sheol means the land of the dead, or another word it could be translated for is hell. So Jonah, he's not literally in hell. He's not saying I'm in the belly in the midst of hell right now. But he's describing to us what this experience felt like. He felt like he's on his way to hell. In other words, he's essentially saying, I am at the point that I am furthest from God, the place where I can do nothing to save myself. I'm in the most helpless and desperate place I can be without any hope, but I called on God and you heard me. That's what he's saying when he's crying out from the belly of Sheol. This is the prayer, I hope, and I think, of a broken and repentant man. We'll talk a little bit at the end about how Jonah uh, relates to this ordeal. But in this moment, at least, as he's sinking, he recognizes, I need God and I've done wrong. Uh, Jonah felt isolated, separated from God, and really just from life. How many of you have gone through times of the belly of Sheol? Or maybe you're there right now, times when you feel like, man, God is just a million miles away from me. 
times where you felt all hope was lost, like life was about to end or it's not even really worth living. The good news of this passage is that even when we've reached that point where we feel like we are in Sheol, God still hears our cries to him and he answers. Even when we reach the point where we're completely and utterly helpless, we're not hopeless. God hears and answers. In verse 3, it says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah recognizes that while the mariners may have been the one who physically threw him into the sea in chapter 1, it is really God who cast him into the waters and allowed the water to surround him. Sometimes God might need to use big dramatic moments to wake us up. There will be consequences for our disobedience to him. For Jonah, it's being thrown into the sea. And if you notice the language here, there's all this word about being surrounded. The flood surrounded him. The waves and billows pass over him. The deep surrounded him. The seaweed wraps around his head. Jonah is being covered by this sea, but he's also being covered by God's love and mercy. God is still there in the storm. God is still present and listening to Jonah. We see the story of Israel and our journey to salvation playing out in this microcosm here in these first two chapters of Jonah. First, we have rebellion. Our rebellion against God and not accepting who he is, turning away from his presence, saying we can do this without him. And after our rebellion, there comes retribution, consequences for the sin of rebellion, of being against God. For those who have never placed their faith in Jesus as your only hope of salvation, retribution is still hanging over you. But then we see repentance. Repentance carries with it this idea of literally going one direction and turning around and going the way you came. Jonah's going the wrong way. He's heading to Tarshish as far as he could from God calling him. Here, it's going to take a fish, but the fish will literally physically turn him back to where he should be headed. But the fish is also a chance for Jonah to reflect and repent and recognize that salvation belongs to God. And after repentance comes rescue. God rescues us from our sin. God allows us to be made righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. God rescues us to a life spent with him in this life and for eternity in the next. If you read the book of Judges, we did this book pretty early on when I first came here as youth pastor, and really all of the Old Testament, you see this cycle repeat itself over and over again. Rebellion, retribution, repentance, rescue. And after God rescues the Israelites, they do it again. They eventually rebel. There's consequences, retribution. They repent to God. God comes and rescues them over and over again. It plays out for Jonah in two chapters. In our own lives, we see it play out majorly when we first repent of our sins and turn to Jesus. But I'm guessing many of us, myself included, have seen this happen other times too. Now, I'm not meaning that we need to like re-receive salvation. You don't have to be saved again. I don't mean that. But we may need to be restored back to who God has called us to be after a period of rebellion. Let's look at verse 4. Jonah says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall, look, or I shall again look upon your holy temple. While Jonah feels, he feels as if he is no longer in the sight of God, he knows that he is because God is answering him. 
He's acknowledging a truth about God, that Jonah will see God's holy temple because God has already provided salvation for Jonah. Verse 5 and 6, we again are getting uh, descriptive details of his feelings of complete helplessness. It says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. His descent to death is almost complete as he reaches the root of the mountains. He's meaning the very bottom of the sea, right? That's where the, the mountains would grow from. In other words, there is no physical hope for Jonah. This is game over. He is a dead man. And then he says what in the second part of verse 6? What's that first word there? Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. In his final moments, uh, you have this amazing, powerful description of a man who is at his final moment of his life, feeling helpless and hopeless, seeking to his death, and then there's a yet or a but. Most translations have but. But you, O Lord. I love that. When Jonah had no hope, God intervened. He does that so often in our lives that it It's only after a situation may have passed that we can reflect and see how God moved us through it. In the moment of hardship and desperation, we only think about what we are experiencing and rarely think about how God might be moving. All of us have but God moments in our lives. Maybe it's my depression made me not want to live, but God gave me a joy for life. My marriage was failing, but God intervened. My job situation seemed hopeless, but God answered prayer. My life seemed out of control, but God saved me. All things are possible with God. When Jonah found himself at his most depressing moment in life, when hope seemed lost, when he could literally do nothing to save himself, God stepped in and rescued him, rescues him from Sheol. This story mirrors the message of salvation through Christ. That we, regardless of who we are or how good we think we are, find ourselves separated and under the wrath of God. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves, just as Jonah could do nothing to save his own life. Neither can we do anything to save ours. As Jonah's sinking to the depths, he can't make an animal sacrifice to atone for his sins. He couldn't give money to the temple or go worship at the temple. He couldn't serve someone or do some good work that people will think makes them good enough to get into heaven. He's completely helpless. You and I are completely helpless. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. But by God's grace, Jonah was rescued from physical death, and by God's grace, we are rescued from spiritual death through Christ, who died so that those who believe in him may be forgiven and made new. The point is, salvation, both physically and spiritually, isn't possible without God working in us. We walk through life believing that we are in total control of ourselves, when in fact, we don't really have any control over any aspect of our lives. And unfortunately, there are times that God has to take some very drastic measures to prove this to us. But thankfully, even in our rebellion, He still rescues us, as Romans 5.8 tells us. But God showed His love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In verses 7 through 9, Jonah makes a final statement of trusting truth and who God is. Let me read that. 
When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayers came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the whole crux of the book of Jonah, right here. These last three verses, specifically verse 9, that salvation belongs to the Lord. In verse 7, we see God hears our prayers in his holy temple. We've already talked about this, of God is always listening, always answering. In verse 8, praying to idols won't save us, as the mariners learned in in, uh, chapter 1 when they're on the boat, as the Ninevites will learn when they hear about the wrath of God in chapter 3. Those who put their hope in anything but God are forfeiting their opportunity to receive God's grace through forgiveness. The word steadfast love that's used there at the end of verse 8, uh, this is the Hebrew word chased. you got to really clear your throat when you do that one. Now chased is this idea of uh, loving kindness or, or the pursuing love of God. When we cling or to or put our hopes in things such as worthless idols, false gods, money, jobs, material things, our marriage, our own strength and abilities, we're losing the ability to experience the grace of God. You can't pursue both God's grace and the things of this world. Jesus would tell us it's one or the other. Because Jonah knows and understands this, he makes that vow that he will give his life to the Lord. Whether dead or alive, it all belongs to God. And his new desire I think, would be to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength at the language that he's using here. I'm guessing Jonah is more thankful to God after his three days stuck inside the belly of a stinky fish than he's ever been before in his life. For Jonah, and for those who have heard the truth of the merciful, loving Lord and believed it, we will raise thanksgiving and sacrifice to him. We will serve him however he calls us. Why? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Why would we serve, sacrifice, or vow to anyone else? Our passage ends with God completing this miracle for Jonah. God speaks to the fish. Jonah gets puked up onto dry land where he'll once again hear God's call to preach to Nineveh. Uh, I don't want to step too much on Mike's sermon next week. Sorry if I do, Mike, uh, in chapter 3. But I think it's important to point out something about Jonah's mindset after this whole ordeal. Jonah, next week, spoiler, you're allowed to read ahead in the Bible, will obediently head to Nineveh in chapter 3. And he will obediently preach that destruction is coming. But Jonah is going to preach this, not hoping that the Ninevites will recognize that there's no way to save themselves, and it's only turning to God that can save them. Jonah closes his psalm with the greatest truth we can learn about God. Salvation alone belongs to the Lord. Preach it, Jonah. That's exactly what we need to hear. But Jonah falls into a problem many of us do. And I want to take a moment to caution us on it. Jonah wants salvation for himself and who he thinks deserves it. Not for everyone. It's kind of hard to hear. But I'm guessing it's happened to many of us in this room Or maybe it's in the hearts of some of you today. I pray here that everyone has had a Jonah moment where they realize they are headed to Sheol and apart from God's presence, living with the wrath of God hanging over them, but they repented. They turned to Jesus, received forgiveness of sin, and now they abide in him. 
If you haven't made that decision today and you want to know uh, how Jesus can save you from everything you've ever done wrong, don't leave without talking to me or someone else here in this church. And while we can praise and rejoice in God for saving us, how often, though, do we then hesitate to share the message of salvation to others? Or even worse, think, they don't deserve it, or, man, they're just way too far gone. Are there people groups popping up into your heart right now that you're not excited for their lives to be changed by turning to Jesus? Maybe it's the woke progressive protesting the right to abortion. Maybe it's the far-right conservative who you think only cares about the glory of America. Maybe it's the gay couple you see on the max or that lives next door to you. Maybe it's the Middle Eastern Muslim who you think wants to do nothing more than to kill all Christians. Maybe it's the illegal immigrants at our southern border who you think have no right to be in our country. Maybe it's the idea of the Sodom and Gomorrah that downtown Portland has turned into that's just too sinful to be saved. I don't know if you have a people group that you look down on, think less than, or never even consider as someone you'd share the gospel with. But if it's in there, man, I want to hold you accountable to that being sinful and your need for repentance. You cannot accept the forgiveness and salvation that comes from Jesus, and then hope or not care that others don't receive it. That's not the gospel. Not anywhere that I see. That's not what Jesus came for. You and I are just as broken and sinful and apart from God's presence as any other sinner in this world until you recognize that Jesus is the only way. You are not special or more loved or better than others, and that's why you were saved, and they are not. We all need God's mercy and grace. We do not get to play God and pick and choose who gets to be saved and who doesn't. Unfortunately, spoiler, Jonah's going to do this. He'll preach judgment in hopes that judgment comes to his enemies. And then, in the weirdest chapter in the entire Bible, he gets mad when salvation comes to them. I, I can't wait for Josh to preach that one. It's literally one of my favorite chapters because it is so weird of how this book ends. Great book. Thanks for writing it, though, Jonah. Jonah must have had a change of heart. He still wrote it. I beg of you, though, if any of this is stirring something inside of you, what I just said, remove this from your heart. God's plan to save the world is us. There's no plan B us carrying the message of the gospel to the world. If you have people that you don't care receive the gospel, man, repent and vow to serve the Lord however and wherever he calls you. Well, thank goodness we have the Savior that we do. Because Jonah, he ran from God's calling to preach to his enemies. Jesus ran towards those who opposed him to preach the good news. Jonah ran from God's presence and was close to death until God rescues him through the belly of a fish. Jesus is God, who is present on earth, who rescues all of us by actually experiencing death and spent three days in the tomb. Jonah is unceremoniously vomited up on dry ground with a second chance at life. Jesus raises himself from the dead, and he walks out of the tomb so all who believe in him may experience a new life. 
In Matthew 12, 38 through 41, we see Jesus directly refer to this chapter, this story of Jonah. Let me read that. Matthew 12, 38 through 41. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, that is Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. That means miracle. And he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Pharisees want yet another sign for Jesus to prove who he is, even though many miracles have already been performed and observed. Jesus tells them the only miracle they need is the greater, better version of the miracle that happened with Jonah in the belly of the fish. Jonah, after surviving the sea and the fish, he preaches to Nineveh and they believe. If Nineveh can believe after the preaching of Jonah, which honestly isn't that great or done with the right motives, then how much more so should people believe hearing the gospel from the very mouth of God? The better Jonah has come and brought the message of salvation for all, uh, for all people because he desires that all people will come to know him. So what, what are a couple take-homes from this psalm? Let me just give you a couple to wrap up. First, helpless doesn't mean hopeless. Helpless doesn't mean hopeless. Jonah was helpless, but he wasn't hopeless. God can and does rescue us, even from the depths of Sheol. Nobody is beyond God's ability to rescue. No matter how bad you believe life is or how bad you think you are, when you cry out to God, He will rescue you. Second, we see God answers prayer. God may not always answer it the way we expect, but He will answer it in the way that we need. What we need to do in our prayers is learn to pray consistently, pray the heart of God, pray for His will to be done, pray for the faith to endure, for a peace that passes all understanding, pray for humility, pray for your life to be used for His glory, for your example to be used to help change others, for your spiritual gifts to edify and build up the body, for the miracle of healing both spiritually and physically, and above all else, pray with a thankful heart. Many of the Psalms are, are honest, vulnerable prayers that are full of, of praise and anger and joy and hurt and question and doubt, but they all seem to end in thanksgiving because they understand the one to whom they are praying. Remember, the God of the universe hears all our prayers. When we come to Him and confess sincerely, He will always forgive. Salvation belongs to the Lord and to the Lord alone. I pray that God would teach us to have grace for all people just as he has grace and love for us. Let's pray. God, as we uh, consider the life and journey of Jonah um, this week and the next couple weeks, um, first of all, I just want to pray if there are people in this room who are running from you, whether it be a, a first-time decision to put their faith in you of recognizing that you are literally the only hope they have as they are, are sinking to the depths. God, I pray that they would cry out to you in distress and that they will trust that you will answer. 
and that you will bring salvation because salvation belongs to you. There's those of us in this room who already have that relationship with you, but we're running away in some other way. Maybe it's like Jonah that we want salvation for ourselves, but we don't really care about salvation for different people groups. Root out that sin in our lives. We confess that it is wrong, that that is us trying to play God, to, to think we know better than you, of, of, of we know how to judge the hearts of, of humanity, and we do not. I pray that we all would just have our eyes open, that we'd see the world the way you do, that, that everyone around us is in need of your grace and mercy, and that we would go forward as uh, examples and messengers, prophets of that word, carrying the word that you have for us. God, I thank you that no matter where we are, how far we might try to run for you or, 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 or fall from your presence, you're still there, you still listen, you're still calling to us, and sometimes you're going to do the dramatic thing to rescue us. Help us to not miss those moments, to see you for who you are as the loving, rescuing God. Um, I just pray all of us will, will take this message from Jonah and would go forward to whoever we think our enemies might be, not hoping for judgment, but hoping for salvation to take place. Praise these things through Jesus' name. Amen.